what conditions are stipulations magic tricks or manipulations interjecting conversation I don't want to talk about it we're gonna have to talk about it uh, Brooke texted me it was a fine Tuesday night like three weeks ago and said something like ah and I was like what could she possibly have to say I was so excited to tell you and Brooke what did you share with me after that alarming so I found a tweet from Elizabeth Warren saying that you could win a drink with her and you could grab a beer with her all right cool and then she said I don't know what you like to drink my favorite drink is Michelob Ultra Michelob Ultra I told you Liz it was a Warren mom beer. loves mom <laughs> beer, which checks out a hundred percent. So I think we've clinched my primary choice. I mean, you, at this point, I don't think you have another option. Nope. Did you see that uh, every primary candidate was asked what their comfort food was? And Julian Castro, what did he say? He said something. Everyone had a weird one. Cory Booker's was vegetables. That is stupid. Don't fucking lie to me, you perfect man. And Kirsten Gillibrand's was whiskey. Creepy. That's not a food. Do people know what food is? Okay. <laughs> See, I'm cranky today. Also, it's like, whiskey, are you okay? Like, dang. Yeah, if you're admitting that that's your comfort substance. like, every night when I go home, instead of ice cream, I have a big old pint of whiskey. Corcana los dos. <laughs> have I also, both. I just don't trust anything Gillibrand's. Everything she says seems so contrived and weird that I'm like, she probably just made that up on the oh fly. Oh my god, you've been talking to Ben too much about Kristen Gillibrand. Kirsten no, Gillibrand. I've never really liked her. I don't hate her. One time I mentioned kind of being okay with her and he was incensed. And so now I'm going to donate money to her campaign in his name. Not because I particularly want her to win, but because I feel like he would be very upset about it. Oh, he'd be furious. So. Yeah. No, I just don't like how she, first of all, changed all of her policies after moving to Albany, basically. She was, oh. an, uh, you know, an up, which is fine, like, people change, but she got elected on being, you know, kind of a, an upstate New York, like, pro-gun rights Oh, lady. I didn't know that. Like, country background. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then she completely changed after she moved to Albany, and I just feel like, again, not that that's... Albany, Always the, bad? the metropolitan, like, city metropolitan <laughs> city of Albany, New York. <laughs> In New York terms. She might walk that line between not wanting to demonize political growth, because I sometimes people call politicians who change their views flip-floppers and panders always believe is true yeah so i i it's kind of such a case by case thing to see if that applies but i okay so i looked up julian castro who love julian castro didn't know a whole lot about him before the last debate but i thought he did a wonderful job had a lot yeah, of was the only insight. one who could really speak spanish well yeah. and yet was not accessorizing it so two for two on that front but his comfort food is iced tea what do people what know the what hell means? are these people doing? Like, <laughs> the, okay, there were people who had real foods. Have you not but... heard of a comfort food? Okay, we're not going to look at the real one. Let's play wrong <gasps> answers only. This is good. Okay, with every candidate. So, Buttigieg, mm, kale chips, or something kind of hip but dry. Mm, yeah, maybe like uh, maybe like those veggie sticks, like the yeah, little, yeah, yeah. Although again, like, are we are we coming up with actual comfort foods or the no, comfort foods we think that they're they not? Have? So no. Okay, so yeah, Buttigieg, kale chips, or maybe yeah, some kind of like 
the weird like puffy veggie like sticks. you can't hide that you're hip and young and quinoa healthy. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah okay uh harris oh i feel like she's too authentic yeah maybe something like, like a five-hour energy something that reveals that she just does not stop yeah okay five so for harris I, i'll get behind that five hour okay energy. cool 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 um cory booker actually i'm gonna go with something like stuffed mushrooms or risotto Mm, risotto yeah like a yeah. fancy ass like, like fuck he, you man he makes it for rosie rosario dawson rosario dawson yes he uh, makes it for stupid rosario hot dawson. successful couple they you can't have it all you can't just do that you can't be hot and politically successful and young and single you can't and an actress on her side you can't but, have been no. in rent and also be running for president collectively as a couple it's not okay it's too much of a power couple too we can't, much we can't have it I veto that. Um, okay, who else is there? Let's uh, uh, Biden. Biden. <laughs> I mean, we already know because it's ice cream because he's always eating ice cream. But, like, rice pudding. Something oh, no. something else that is more isolating and very soft and old. <laughs> rice I, pudding is a perfect food. I feel Biden like I could food. easily substitute rice pudding in for Bernie, too. Mm, no, Bernie, I honestly feel like Bernie's is just, like, boiled hot dogs without the bun. Oh, and like a, a store brand, like a Chef Boyardee yes, canned boiled ravioli. Yes. Canned ravioli is so Bernie. Um, okay, Warren. What's something that like the most together mom in your life would? Homemade bread. That's too folksy. The like, carbiness like, is yeah. what bugs me because I feel like she's probably she's somewhere between Harris's practical never stop and Buttigieg healthy. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Chai tea. You're being you're being like Julian Castro, and you're using tea as a food. I know. <laughs> Look, we we already said five hour energy for Harris, so we've, we've established no, 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 that liquids true. are not off the table. The Oprah like the Oprah release Starbucks chai tea that they released yes. like two years ago, <laughs> and then uh, Marianne Williamson. Oh, uh. Oof. She just juices <laughs> entire quarters of meat. <laughs> she drinks oh. it. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, she would be somebody with a really out there... Like, she eats raw meat only. Yeah, I was thinking oat milk, but made of oysters. So, or like, like she, some new hip oyster milk. She has a goat, like, in her oh my in her backyard, and she only eats goat cheese from that goat. But she doesn't milk it. She just, like, looks at it, and it makes the she cheese out of its She lets the udder. goat decide when it wants yeah. to give milk, and, and she it just talks it voluntarily. to it really inspiringly and rubs a crystal, and the cheese just kind of oozes Ew! out. <laughs> I hate you for that visual. We're both having a week. It's yeah. Good. All right. Well, I, we can't so, name all twenty-four candidates, so I think we've I think we've hit the. Major I think we ones. hit the highlights and the ones with the funnest foods. Mm. So I guess the only thing we have left to do is watch the debates with that delicious array of comfort foods tomorrow. Oh God! Can you imagine that potluck? Mm. Just Marianne Williamson's mm. weird goat cheese sitting next to Boy Chef Boyardee. <laughs> I feel like it has to be rounded out with somebody who likes condensed milk, like the cans of condensed milk thing. oh my god someone just punctures a can yeah. and drinks it in their closet by yeah. themselves when they get really stressed okay last one who now we're matching the food to the person who of the remaining pool of freaks just drinks condensed milk jo- john delaney hands down is he the one? Oh no 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 hickenlooper him or hickenlooper <gasps> i really like hickenlooper he was on way we don't tell me and i don't even hate him except that he's like the 
nth old white guy who you just like forgot existed. I mean, yeah, there are so many candidates who I just regularly. Oh, we forgot Beto too. Beto honestly has disqualified himself with his last debate performance. I don't even know if Beto he... says it's salsa, but his comfort food mm, is really mayo. Cheerios. Mm, yeah, like something really white and yeah. bland. Yeah. Well, speaking of none of that, because we don't have a way to tra- we don't have a transition here. Okay, so we're gonna get real serious, but we're gonna do so in a way that hopefully is utilitarian. Yeah, that is helpful to people. So a couple weeks ago, I noticed um, a pamphlet, a digital pamphlet going around. ACLU was tweeting about it. Southern Poverty Law Center was tweeting about it. They were circulating these dig- digital pamphlets with the hashtag Know Your Rights. Uh, that listed how an undocumented person should behave if ICE is banging on their door or approaches them at work or outside their house. What would you do if you encountered this situation? Like best lines of personal defense. Right. And one of the bullet points was ICE needs a signed warrant before entering your house or vehicle. And this kind of came into play early last week when a video made the rounds of a father uh, Florencio Milan, who he was living in Kansas, he's a father of two, he was forcibly removed from his car by ICE agents. Uh, his partner and two children, including a seven-month-old baby, were in the car as well. The arrest was caught on video and showed ICE agents repeatedly tapping on the window, telling him to roll the window down, and then threatening to break the window in if he didn't come out of the car. And throughout this, Milan was saying, you need a warrant, you need a warrant. I'm not coming out of the car. And you show they, us the warrant. Like, yeah. to see it specifically. Yeah. They kept saying, no, we don't. We're going to break the window in, come out. And he wouldn't. And then they finally broke the window and pulled him out of the car, arrested him, and he was deported. Con- he was previously deported for uh, minor traffic violations. Well, he, he agreed to a voluntary... Right, a self-deport. Right, right. And then... So his two kids and his partner are are in the U.S. He agreed to a self-deport, came back over, and then... Yeah, shortly thereafter, he came back over, not through legal means, so then was in the country undocumented, but had this prior order of removal, even though it was self-removal. Right. And now was here undocumented. So So we're we're thinking about the the violations of law under the INA sense that we talked about a couple weeks ago. That's a couple ticks right there, that you have a prior order of removal against you, and given that undocumented presence in itself is a deportable crime, quote-unquote crime, INA crime, you have two ticks then against you. So he was deported back, but during this video, what I noticed was that he was using language that I had seen in the circulated pamphlets, and I texted you about it because uh, you are my go-to legal gal. <laughs> and I was asking, because I was like, isn't this illegal for them mm-hmm. to forcibly enter the car and remove him? And you said, not necessarily. And so I wanted to ask you, if someone is approached by, if an undocumented person is approached by an ICE officer or is in their house and ICE is outside, what are their rights? Where do they go from there? Who can do what? And I think also this, it should serve as some information for citizens too, that if you're with somebody who's undocumented, if you love somebody who's undocumented, if you see somebody who's subject of one of these encounters, what you can do, because as a citizen, you're going to have a lot more power in that situation. Right. Ways that you can jump in, ask questions, be the kind of go-between, mm-hmm. and make the 
deportation process essentially a whole lot harder. So yeah, what is on those pamphlets I think is really useful and it's all pretty much accurate, but it doesn't account for a lot of situations in which this is gonna come up. So like when you're in a car, but whose car is it? Is it your car? Are you a citizen? Is the car's owner a citizen? Are you in public? Are you just like walking on the street? Are you in your home? Because different rules apply to all those different things and also different warrants have different protections and requirements and different kinds of law enforcement agents have different requirements. So there are a lot of factors that will militate how this situation plays out and what the most prudent things to do are. And I think a lot of them are illustrated in this story and a lot of alternatives are illustrated that may or may not apply. So the first thing that we wanted to talk about is distinguishing types of warrants. So we've got arrest warrants, that's one thing, search warrants, another thing, and administrative warrants. And administrative warrants, even though ICE can engage in things like detention, essentially arrest because they're an agency, those are administrative warrants. And this is where you get your first example of how undocumented people who are subject to these searches and seizures, Mm -hmm. even though technically the Fourth Amendment applies to them, you don't have the same protections when it's not a criminal proceeding and it's not a criminal arrest. So if you're in your home mm-hmm. and someone is knocking on your door and trying yeah. to get you to come out, because we've been hearing a lot of those cases trying to get you to come out right. of the house. That's the most protected option. Okay. Why is that? A lot of Fourth Amendment law, and that's the predicate for so many warrant-based standards, that's the word I'm looking for, They a lot of them root in the Fourth Amendment probable cause. Typically is required before you search somebody's domain, whether it be their house or with fewer protections, their car or their person, although you can detain somebody in public pretty easily because they're in plain view. And can you real quick describe what the Fourth Amendment is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, So it's a prohibition on searches and seizures, usually without a warrant and probable cause. And, And you're looking for probable cause that somebody either committed a crime or that the seizable thing is probably here if it's mm. a search, which is kind of a wishy-washy evidentiary standard that is somewhere below preponderance of evidence, which is like 51% sure that something happened. Okay. So I'm more sure than not. And a hunch. Like I have reason to know that this is almost as likely to be true as not and a but little more than nothing. <laughs> that's almost, that's entirely subjective. And yep. if someone, you can't disprove or prove that someone felt a certain way at the time. Yeah. Right? And in practice, there are some objective standards, um, benchmarks that are used to evaluate things like probable cause. They've talked about fleeing as not enough by itself to suggest that somebody has caused a crime. But if they're fleeing and you think that they committed a drug offense and you see them throw something and okay. they match a description, that's probably good. So it has to be it has <laughs> like to be fleeing with the in, with the addition of something else. Yeah, and it can't just be I think this and this person fits what I think. You have to have some objective source for knowledge. And there's a whole lot that regulates how you can deal with informant tips and whether race alone is a factor that you can consider. So there are a lot of objective things that you factor in. And then we'll get into this potentially, but there's a slightly lower bar that applies to a lot of things that are administrative. So a lot of ICE and immigration based procedures called reasonable suspicion. If you look at this nebulous concept of probable cause, reasonable suspicion is one notch down. Okay. So it's a little bit closer to a hunch, but still a little bit more than a hunch, still not entirely subjective. But the bottom line is that 
there is an element of subjectivity in law enforcement, whether it be police or ICE. They get a lot of deference from courts because that's okay. just kind of how we operate. We yeah. want to believe that we can trust these people, and in theory, we should be able to. So we operate Despite as if we do. Despite all evidence <laughs> to the contrary in some cases. Yeah, so that may be shifting. So that's the initial basis that you need for a warrant, whether it be search or arrest, unless... An exception applies, and there are a million exceptions, and that doesn't even get into who can even assert their Fourth Amendment right in a trial setting so that they actually can be protected from the evidence, because... And that kind of another goes into my next question, which sure. is, which constitutional protections do undocumented people have? So they have a lot of them in the sense of who they are as a person. The only ones that don't apply are... <laughs> The Privileges and Immunities Clause and the Privileges or Immunities Clause. Okay. And then the 14th Amendment. One is states, one is federal. <laughs> there are other ones that are not really well defined. It's kind of rights of citizens of the country that aren't enumerated similar to necessary and proper. And right. it is taken to mean maybe natural rights. And, well, maybe the state version depends on the national version. Since we can't interpret that one, we don't really know what this one means. So it really, it, it could be stretched to whatever need arises, whether it be positive or negative. Mm -hmm. to and you were saying that there are laws that apply only within 100 miles of the border. Yeah, and so 100 is actually an arbitrary number that I ascribe to something that doesn't have a distance-based limit. So that's one of the exceptions to even the reasonable suspicion standard, which again is the lower of the two, probable cause and reasonable suspicion. But in border settings or border adjacent settings undefined because right, there's what is border adjacent what does that mean it's not i mean defined so it's kind of that... come up in case by case settings where it's like well this one is close enough and because but is that this... left to the discretion of the judge well there's this concept of judicial minimalism so okay. you only especially when there are constitutional questions implicated judges try to be as limited as possible in the holding unless they want to make a statement. So when ruling on a constitutional question, there's usually a preference to say, this is constitutional in this case, rather than in all future cases, we're going to set this mileage and that's where the line's going to be. And that kind of makes sense that you don't want to limit yourself in future. But when it is something that now is becoming kind of life or death yeah. and implicating a lot of people's rights, um, we don't really know if 50 miles from the border is close enough to the border to be a national security concern. And so the, I think the case that implicated this was they actually disassembled the person's car without any basis. No warrant, no, like... Was the person in the car? Yeah. But, I mean, they, they removed them from the car, but they were searching, I think, for drugs or something. That was their pretense. And they disassembled their car without the typical... Did they find anything? I don't know. So it was... I mean, I don't know if that has a real bearing on the, the outcome. No, but, I mean, if you the the entire premise behind that is that they have reasonable suspicion. So it seems like the whether or not you found something... You don't need reasonable something. suspicion by the border. That's oh the whole thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because wow. there's such a exigency that comes with being close to the border and, like, national security concerns that you can just kind of dispense with those things. Can you sue after if your car is assembled and they and it was all baseless? Theoretically, you could bring like a, something like a 1983 civil suit against the police department or even I guess it would have to be the individual member of the police department because you can't sue a state agency 
or a federal agency because they have immunity. And so we've seen how that to, goes in the past. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you'd have to spend a lot of money. And then once the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of the practice that the person was exercising, I don't know how well you would do with that, given that they had the right to do it. It's almost like law enforcement has too much power. <laughs> crazy. Crazy, right? So just to pull it back to where what we were talking about initially. Sure. And if a person is... So we know if they're in their house, they have... That the, is the most sacred. It, that is it where is they're most safe. It is their castle, and the Supreme Court for centuries has loved to think about the conception of the home as your castle. Now, if it's somebody else's home, you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy, so that actually would make a difference. In terms of letting them into the house, it wouldn't. But let's say they burst in and violated the concept of the Fourth Amendment by doing so without consent or without an exigency or without a warrant. And they arrested or detained an undocumented person in someone else's house. The only person whose rights have technically been violated, whose Fourth Amendment rights have been violated, are the owner of the house. Okay. So the undocumented person would have no way to keep any evidence to get rid of the arrest to suppress any evidence that came of it because it was not their house Mm. so it wasn't their right that that was violated is that why the situation in the car might be different it's because okay yeah so that kind of brings us nicely to there and why it might be prudent for undocumented people to travel with citizens but also prudent for them to have their name on the title of any vehicle and these are obviously ideal scenarios Mm. if you have the resources and cooperation of friends and family to be able to do that also a red flag for citizens to know to offer that sort of thing and that it is helpful you know if your partner is undocumented it's worth having a joint title then you get into like oh well but then there's a registry of this person and you have to make that that balancing test yourself but because the right belongs to the person who owns the vehicle or the home and they're the only one who can assert it to protect themselves in the ultimate what if it's violated and we're arrested or something is seized. If the undocumented person is not the owner of the car, it's kind of neither here nor there if their Fourth Amendment rights are violated. So this isn't, I wanted to mention that uh, this isn't just something that affects undocumented people. There have already been two cases where um, two people, a nine-year-old, who was held for, I believe, two days without parents or a lawyer being notified of where she was. She was a U.S. citizen who was carrying her passport with her. Jesus. Um, which is something that obviously... Should never have to do in general. Parents are <laughs> probably thinking about a lot more, um, especially if you're a person of color. Terrifying. So she was held for several days without a parent or lawyer being notified. And when asked why... She was held, even though she had a passport that showed she was a U.S. citizen. They said it was because she was giving inconsistent answers. Your nine-year-old kid can be interrogated and this held. Is, boy, I mean, you talk about subjectivity and evaluating things. I feel like we find ourselves asking this a lot, but how was she supposed to behave, this nine-year-old who has the most formalized form of identification to prove that she's a citizen on her? Right, and then that it comes down to just competency of law enforcement right. and... And bias, because the most competent person, if they want to believe that every Latinx person is probably not allowed to be here and they should go back to where they came from, to turn a phrase. Yeah. You know, it's kind of their ballgame to win. Yeah, I I didn't see that they uh, were recommended at all, so it seems like they can do that with immunity. 
And the nine-year-old is supposed to have the wherewithal to navigate that. So that seems rational. Uh, another, an 18-year-old was hauled for 23 days. He was a U.S. citizen as well, another person of color. He apparently had, at some point, his mother had made him a uh, birth certificate that said that he was born in Mexico. He had identification that said he was a U.S. citizen. Wait, why? That's so weird. Uh, she was trying to get him a visa, and this was a... You know, this is such a weird situation, but she was trying to get him a visa to visit Mexico, I believe. So she basically faked documentation that he was born in Mexico, oh. but he had documentation on him that he was a citizen. Oh, so then, he, but he was held for twenty three days. Those are just two two situations that I've heard about in the, in the media lately. Um, and this simply is not happening to white citizens. It's, not not it's that not. I know of. No, not that we've been hearing of. And I I just I don't think that we will be hearing about it because. It does seem like most of the rhetoric and most of the anti-immigration sentiment is focused on people of color. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be picking up any immigrants from Sweden anytime soon. Exactly. We should, before we move off of this topic, we should talk about, there are actually additional exceptions for automobile searches, and you can kind of, getting back to our story about somebody breaking the window of this father's car while his children are in there, which is getting to be a real theme with police encounters on this show. So there, there's like an exception to a lot of the requirements also because automobiles in and of themselves are seen as an exigent circumstance because of the physical access that people have to things that potentially are dangerous, the ability they have to get away. They call it like the grab area. So everything within the car that is reachable by the person who is the subject of the questioning or the detention Mm -hmm. that is fair game so in this scenario it is worth noting and distinguishing if only so people feel a little bit safer that there were both ice agents and police officers there so this was not just an ice-based detention there was also a like traditional law enforcement arrest that was being executed okay based on what like traffic infractions so it's certainly not that's what a, i that's what i yeah. was that they're former traffic violations not a great basis and again we know how they govern the definition of crimes under the ina so working together i'm sure that the two agencies fabricated a much more extreme scenario than the actual infractions were but at the very least we do know that in this situation he was placed under arrest in a law mm. enforcement setting or in a police setting and ICE was there looking to detain him. So the two forces were kind of working together. And in a way, they may, may not be in every situation. Yeah. And, and the, it gave both of them more power. The, oh, my. There was a – right as they're handcuffing him and taking him away, he asked if he can say goodbye to his children. Oh and they said, you have no idea what you just put us through. The ICE agent told them that. You're lucky that we let you say goodbye to your partner. And it was just this – it's uh, the arrogance. That poor humanity. man is going to need two glasses of warm milk tonight. <laughs> Because he had to break that window. What a fool. So, yeah, that just uh, we just wanted to give like a primer on what people should be aware of and definitely dive into more of what your rights are and, and memorize those and yeah, be and really aware of where you're safest. Okay, so just some things to think about 
both for citizens who are observing this kind of situation. I guess, let's say first for citizen allies, particularly those who don't find themselves at risk. They're not Latinx, they're not people of color who feel at risk in law enforcement scenarios. And let's be honest, we know who we are. They are the people that look like me and Brooke. People who know that just because they look the way they do, they are not likely to be detained if they challenge law enforcement. So for those of us who fall in that category, be the one to ask the questions, step in, and I know a lot of these little pamphlets have suggested this as well, yeah. and I think it's a great suggestion and one that allows everybody to get involved um, in intervening in this sort of situation. Make it hard. Don't make everything go smoothly if you see people in your community yeah, getting detained. There was a story about a man and his son were in the car, and ICE locked them into the driveway, and they realized they couldn't leave the car, so they were sitting in the car for several hours. I'm not sure how many, but people in their neighborhood started making a human ring around grabbing hands Great. around their car and then the ice agents left but they made a human chain to block so that they would have to get through them to get to their neighbors for safety they just thought it would be safer in case they were like waiting somewhere yeah. to get to the father and son and that's just a very practical <laughs> way of doing it's very, it yeah maybe not practical in every scenario you may not yeah. always have a chain of people to work in tandem with yeah that's literally what? being a barrier so Questions that you should be asking, not only do you have a warrant and can I see the warrant, but what kind of warrant is it? What does the warrant authorize you to do? Who are you working for? Are you ICE? Are you local law enforcement? And they may not answer every question, especially you as a non-party to the situation. You have less of a technical right to know. Mm -hmm. And obviously, as a pretense to any of these suggestions, make sure whether it be explicitly or implicitly through communication with the subject that you're not intruding because you obviously don't want to make them feel like you're making their life harder or that mm -hmm. you're making this a more dangerous situation. So that would be the first step to make sure that you're not intruding in some unwelcome way. But this is presuming that that has happened. So yeah, law enforcement may or may not cooperate with you, but hey, you're the one who can take the chances and mm -hmm. ask those questions and hopefully make them feel like you in caring about the subject of their attention know enough that they will not get away with any corner cutting. Also, again, if you're in a position that you are close to or care about somebody such that you might want to put their name on a title to a home or to a car, I think that would be a useful thing so that they actually do have the protections of that residence and or vehicle <laughs> shelter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this goes honestly for anybody who could attract attention. Don't carry something that could be implied as a weapon. Like in Arizona, we have open carry, and it's absurd in general. But don't do those things that'll attract negative attention mm -hmm. or make some excuse for law enforcement to be like, well, I thought there was a danger, so uh, no holds barred, no restrictions apply, exigent right. circumstances, I was in danger. Obviously, those things can be fabricated, we've seen, without any reason, but don't open the door. And don't break laws. We've talked about this with so many unfair penalties, and we know that the penalty in this country for minor traffic infractions is not threat of violence or detention, but because this is a practical situation, mm -hmm. try to avoid those sorts of things. You know, get your taillight repaired if it's out, because that is just what these people are looking for. Yeah. And keep lawyer numbers with you. A lot of these sites have had great resources for low budget or pro bono legal services that can be reached on a moment's notice. We should try to post those somewhere. 
Yeah, I can post it in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Great. I yeah. always forget that we have show notes. But I we know, do. me too. We will utilize them now, so start checking because we will start populating them with our bodies. So I think that's a good, at least, starter. Yeah, know that you're safer in your home than in your car, than in public, and less safe close to borders. We right. don't know how close, but... Just close. Close. Just a, just a subjective yeah. idea of close. Yeah. Um, and stay safe. Everyone stay safe. Be Mr. Rogers about your life. Oh, fuck. Did Love you your neighbors. I, was a... I can't talk about it. You can talk about it when it comes out. I can't talk. Hell I, of a I, thing to come out this weekend. I watched the trailer and almost started crying, and like I sobbed during the documentary. So I I'm did not be a see mess. that coming that we were gonna have a Tom. Tom Hanks, Hanks Mr. Rogers. Are you kidding me? Accidentally watching Access Hollywood, and this comes out at me. That is not what I'm expecting to see when I leave the TV on. After it should the come news. with like an emotion. Like it should come with a content warning. Yeah, like you're about to see something that is gonna make you cry. Okay, so my good friend Alicia Maldonado is in. Puerto Rico this week. Oh, yeah. She's reporting on the protests over government corruption there. Um, Puerto Rico Governor Ricardo... Is it... Roseo? Ricardo Roseo. He resigned after massive protests over leaked chats in which he made sexist and homophobic remarks, as well as derogatory comments about people affected by Hurricane Maria. Oh, and by the way, just to cite, because we we love to cite our female journalists. um, Yeah. I, a lot of this information I'm getting from a breakdown by Gabriela Resto, Mon- I'm going to say Montero, um, for Medium. Uh, so I, just, I, so I, I threw in some other facts from elsewhere, but this is where I got my main info. Awesome. I want to give as a predicate to this story, I was listening to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the great news quiz show on NPR. And Peter Sagal said that the silver lining of the comments from Roseo is that they are so bigoted and base and derogatory that maybe, maybe... Trump will now recognize Puerto Rico as part of the United States. Maybe that's going to get. get <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Or at least a little extra federal money. So, yeah, resigned after massive protests. All 889 pages of comments were published oh by. God. Yep. Puerto Rico's Center for Investigative Reporting, which we love. Uh, those were leaked earlier this month in the middle of a giant corruption scandal. Involving Roseo and members of his administration. In the chats, Roseo shared classified information with party leaders who were no longer in government at the time of the chats, as well as using public funds for party purposes. Puerto Rico CFO Christian Sabrino said he was salivating to shoot Roseo's 2020 opponent and mayor of San Juan, Carmen Yulin Cruz. We remember her. Mm. She was the she was kind of the face of Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria because she came out full force against Trump because of his lack and of pro Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah, because of his lack of help uh, indifference to the victims. In response to the CFO saying he was salivating to shoot Yulin Cruz, Roseo said, you'd be doing me a great favor. He also called New York City council member, former council member, Melissa Mark Viverito a whore after she publicly asked Democratic leaders who back Puerto Rican statehood to consider all political interests on the island. So, that's such a diplomatic statement. It's also, it has nothing Jesus to do with Christ. <laughs> I get it because he's a misogynist, but that has nothing to do with. I mean, oh, it has nothing to do whore? with anything. That's I... your best shot. Ooh, got me bad. <laughs> oh, you got me bad. MMV, as she's lovingly called at the post. I mean, doesn't roll off the character. tongue. I'll say that. MMV. <laughs> well, Melissa Mark Viverito does not fit in headlines. This, we have to come up with something okay. creative. But, you know, I, I've had my disagreements with her, but 
she's a New York girl, and so I certainly it's disagree all with. Yeah, we're gonna stick to our ladies on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, he also made fun of the lack it's the of the horror agenda over here. <laughs> that could have been another great name for our podcast, <laughs> the horror agenda. Rosseo also made fun of the lack of forensic pathologists who were able to perform autopsies after Hurricane Maria by saying, can't we feed a body to the crows? This is just the most <sighs> bizarre and focused. I mean, I guess in 890-something pages, you're going to hit a lot of niche hatred. But, okay, we're picking on whores and... Picking on Melissa Mark Viverito by calling her a whore, but it's like maybe we're a pro city councilwoman. <laughs> Yeah, we got her in New York making a very diplomatic comment. We have the population ratio of forensic pathologists. Well, it's like in my own the, the, territory. What's so tragic about that is after Hurricane Maria, and there weren't enough forensic pathologists to perform autopsies oh, on it's the a tragic dead scenario. in your territory. Like this is the place you're supposed to be concerned with, it, and these are your people. And obviously, he's not because uh-huh. there was. <laughs> Puerto Ricans were already frustrated. I'm quoting straight from her article here. The breakdown in infrastructure and services prolonged the crisis, which many saw as exacerbated by an ineffectual government led by Roseo. Yeah, and and I want to jump in here. Um, There are a lot of systemic issues that have plagued Puerto Rico for a while. And even pre-Maria, they're in a place that's very prone to natural disaster, especially hurricanes, Mm -hmm. tropical storms, things like that. And their weird limbo position in terms of the United States federal government has put them on the losing end of a lot of equations. So one of the things is that they technically are eligible for Medicaid, but the actual grants of money from the federal government provided to Mm -hmm. cover Medicaid are not big enough to provide for everybody. And they're required, as are the contiguous United States states, to only use U.S. freighters and transportation in and out. But because they're so removed an island and they are a territory, that costs so much more money because every time they import or export something, they have to send out for an external vessel to do it. And the last thing being that they are subject to federal minimum wage, but the baseline economic payout and pay-in and export-import sort of things, GDP essentially, mm-hmm. is so low that that kind of pigeonholes people because they can't afford to move up because they can't pay. Basically, they get the regulations that come with being a part of the United States without getting the benefits. Exactly. Really. I think in terms of per capita income, so this isn't even looking at scale. Their per capita income is half of what it is in our poorest state, which is Mississippi. Half. That's amazing. So, that's, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. And on top of all the economic issues, they've had systemic corruption. Yeah. Uh, the same week Rosario's private chats were published. The former Secretary of Education and five other people were indicted on charges of fraud. And this story has been in the news for a while, but the FBI right. started investigating them and finally made indictments. Same week that his private chats were exposed. It's an so. interlocking cycle because economic discomfort breeds desperation and fraud. And then the turmoil invites power-hungry people mm-hmm. and outside investigation. Mm-hmm. The private chats were really the last straw and yeah. it was the same week that six former administration members were Spark indicted in box, yeah and it, it, everyone in puerto rico is exhausted so he resigned late last week but as soon as he resigned demonstrator just moved down the list to the person who would replace him which is well, wanda as- vasquez i think it's garst uh, but she, and again, like, I'm sorry for my pronunciations of everything. I'm working on it. I try to hey, pronounce correctly, but. We try and we learn as we go. We learn as We're we go. We're sounding it out, like, back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she is the woman who would replace him, and she doesn't want the job for 
pretty obvious reasons she I feel like doesn't want to step into that are just a mess because on the one hand yeah obviously who wants this steaming platter handed to them but also girl this is your job and then also also i definitely get the objection coming from the but people because she, she's part of the same administration she's implicated in that she's corruption she's, if she's way too close to it but they, still they, i'm somehow pissed that she thinks she not that i want her in office but you got yourself into this how dare you i'm Shoulder sure responsibility <laughs> She did not realize that it was going to end in the streets being filled with angry people. I have a semi-handsome young politician to fall behind. and I really hope it's a watershed moment for Puerto Rico and they're able to reclaim their government in a way that preserves the democratic process. And we'll see. The passion um, is certainly there. Yeah. But I, lo- I love movements based on people's passion for their country and their fellow countrymen yeah, and i think that because greater good I, yeah. we just hope that they can channel it well because that's always the risk at the watershed moment like this is exactly do we fall into chaos and you know fall victim to the next buffoon as because yeah as soon as possible it seems like chaos is sort of a theme right now yeah and people look for who makes them feel normal sometimes absolutely well uh speaking of men who have resigned al franken do you want to give a little synopsis of what happened with al franken this week i know you're dreading this and especially we're both a little out of sorts this week so definitely gonna put the cherry the rotund faced pink nose cherry on top of that shit sandwich Everybody puts cherries on sandwiches. What the fuck am I saying? I okay. love it. I love your All cherry right. sandwich. Yum. Great. <laughs> so Al Franken, uh, what, like two years ago? Like, resigned. Yeah, it was two years ago because it was right before the uh, Roy Moore situation. <sighs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, in the wake of this Me Too outcry and a lot of the stories that have been suppressed for many, many years, some of which we've already touched on and more I'm sure we will, a gal named Leanne Tweeden had accused Al Franken of some untoward behavior that fell short of sexual assault, to my understanding. It was the one she had a story for was the kiss that he kind of forced his tongue in her mouth during a yeah. scene. But the photo was she was asleep and Holding she had a flak jacket on. Over. And it looked like he yeah. was grabbing, but he wasn't actually touching her. He was, he was miming. Gra- yeah, miming like, grabbing her tits. Yeah, he's kind of aping for the camera and she's asleep on a transport vehicle. It, it's certainly very poor taste at absolute least. The photo alone being pretty solid documentation of at least yeah. the fact of that. The context in which they met, she was an ex-lingerie model. At the time, they were both on a USO tour in Iraq or Afghanistan, somewhere post-Desert yeah, Storm. I think it was like 2007 or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the, the skit was originally in 2004 because okay. Al Franken had done a couple USO tours, the kind of thing that we saw back in World War II. You can picture like Bob Hope and sexy ladies on these Polynesian <clears throat> tap dancing islands, dancing for out. beautiful, good-hearted soldiers who are just delighted and apple-cheeked. But a lot all... of babies were made during those oh, tours. Oh, so many. Baby boom. So... Yeah, they did a USO tour together. Al Franken had done a couple before in his account, and this actually is confirmed in an interview with Terry Gross that predates the tour that Leanne Tweeden was on. But let me back up. Okay, bottom line, Leanne Tweeden says that under the guise of this skit to entertain troops, Al Franken set up this scenario where he would get to kiss her for the benefit of the skit. And before the first skit, He kept pushing and pushing and pushing, let's rehearse the kiss, let's rehearse the kiss. She said no, she felt like it was a pretense to kiss her. He eventually wore her down to whatever extent, 
kissed her in her account, forced his tongue in her mouth, and then the picture being taken later added insult to injury and supported the fact that he was certainly crossing sexual boundaries yeah. in uh, d- definitely piggish behavior again <laughs> i don't not sexual assault but definitely very piggish behavior. i think that we could safely say misconduct when misconduct is often misapplied to higher tiers yeah. of assault and rape i think that We're this tamini. is a safe application of sexual misconduct and then i guess in the wake of that there were a couple other women who said that he had made them uncomfortable and none yeah, i think of- eight women came forward and said that either during photo shoots or yeah. s- certain situations like that some of them said that when he would grab their butt he'd grope them in some like, kind of way yeah and it sounded to me from the stories like one level above the joe biden touching because it seemed like that if i'm understanding correctly none of them said that it was overtly sexual touching but they did feel uncomfortable about but it and was it like did... he grabbed their butts though right? that that does yeah. verge into an even darker because level with joe biden yeah he's very touchy-feely you know and that was some of them as i think there was kind of a spectrum yeah within the so not all of them said Al that there things. was some there it was, was like groping, a was hand on like... the waist that lingered too long or like pulling them in in a photograph or when they go to the bathroom saying like, <laughs> can I come with you? Ranging from felony stupid and should know that it sounds sexually aggressive and unacceptable to things like butt touching, yeah. which is, is actually crossing a line. And I think looping or those a more two concrete line. in together, we've all been in part, and I'm not blaming this at all, I think it's ridiculous. We've all had that weird thing where someone puts their hand on our back and we're like, ugh, yes. that feels gross. Like, yeah. I don't like that. Let like, me just say to men wondering, it's a safe bet. Don't touch the small of a woman's back unless you're dating her or she's, I don't know, your sister or your mom. And that's a that's, thing. Yeah, a little weird, too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to judge you guys. If, if you, you know them well and it's not going to be weird, then yes. But, but like, generally. There's no great reason. Especially if there's, like, a rubbing motion. No that's rubbing. always No so rubby, weird. rubby. Don't do that. Don't smell hair if we're going to get back to the Biden context. Like, no hair smelling. I think it's probably not sexual with Biden, but what the hell, dude? Deal Don't is. sniff me. Yeah. He's just very, like, touching And the oblivious physicality that really permeates that whole generation. Yeah, I think that's true. They just weren't told, dude, just why oh. are you doing that, you weirdo? And that's part of what I kind of wanted to grapple with with this news story. So the, the bottom line with Franken's story was given that the Democrats have been the self-professed and I think in practice too party of holding men accountable we talked about Kristen Gillibrand she really spearheaded taking men to task in the light of the me too movement Mm -hmm. and ironically she's the one who takes a lot of the blame for any consequence that Al Franken has suffered which uh, wow we found a way to blame it on a woman um but he was certainly pressured by his colleagues to resign and he didn't have any hearing. I think he would have liked to have had an investigation of these claims and called witnesses to testify. And I'll take a second here to say due process is not something that applies to any negative consequence that you don't like facing. Process is due when a government entity takes away your property or life or liberty. So the fact that this guy electively on peer pressure gave up a platform as a policymaker and Mm -hmm. a famous person, there are a lot of things that we should serve some process to. And I think we should figure out how to have some sort of informal process. But this is not a due process issue. Right. Due process does not apply to the court of public opinion. Yeah. You don't have any right to serve in the government. Yeah. 
But the new clincher to Leanne Tweeden's accusation is that she was a conservative commentator and the story came out without a whole lot of fact-checking beforehand. Her news organization was struggling at the time and they wanted to rebrand themselves as the pro-Trump station in blank, in like Missouri, wherever it was. And her team since then has admitted, quote-unquote, that they didn't do any story confirmation. They rushed it to print and branded it as if it was a journalistic endeavor, not just a, a flash piece headline to grab listeners. They advertised it in the same way that a lot of these well-researched, tirelessly fact-checked Harvey Weinstein-esque right. stories were. It kind of got looped in with that, which is right. a, a kind of, during the, the height of the Me Too movement, there were so many stories coming out mm. every day. It was really hard not to put people in the same camp because some accusations are more serious than others. Mm -hmm. You don't want to brand someone a rapist who is not accidentally because you see their name in a headline and it says sexual misconduct and what they really did was like, you know, be a little more aggressive than they should have on a date. And, that, you know, those things still need to be talked about. Well, I think we don't quite know how to talk about it I yet. I don't think we don't talk about it either. And, and we it's certainly like, didn't then. I think we've No, come... that was, you would just see a headline. That I feel like half people didn't even read the stories. And then everyone was looped into this it big basket of Just like a polarizing effect. Sexual assault, yeah. Because on the one hand, there's the subset of people that sees those headlines and takes it at face value, although I feel like that was a pretty small subset. There's another one that was so worried that, well, this will backfire and men won't want to work with us anymore, which is very male-centric and sad. And I think yeah. there's some truth to that concern, but that is certainly not the way to confront a movement that is trying to find its footing to confront it and give it a second, you know? Yeah. And then there are also the people who Well, didn't... also, the, the whole idea of, well, men won't want to work with us anymore, it, th that whole attitude is basically saying that men don't trust women yeah. or men think that they can't control themselves which is yeah. weird it's one of those two things and Either... that's where i think that talking about the shades of misconduct is very important because part of what played into that and i think a lot of people were afraid to acknowledge that there are differing degrees and i can see some yeah. drawbacks to well it was just blank because it minimizes i think there was a fear yeah. that it would imply belittling and because of that we weren't talking about the nuance to it and so a lot of men who maybe good-hearted but we're not familiar with how frequently this happened especially in a previous generation or in certain industries would think oh my god what if i you know left my hand on a waist for too long what if i did this because they're not realizing how extreme mm. the likes of harvey weinstein or louis ck like right. holding somebody in a room and making them watch you masturbate to get a business benefit yeah that's not what we're talking about right when we're talking about you know aziz ansari or al franken and yes, so exactly. I think it made a lot of men more resistant to the movement because they felt like, I hate this is such a connotation. I guess it's had a connotation since its origin, but it came to feel like a witch hunt for a lot of men. Like, oh, we don't know how to avoid this. I know a lot of men were nervous and I empathize with that. And we do need to be careful about how we, how we talk about different levels of sexual misconduct. And there's a smart way to talk about the distinction. There is. And I think that when it comes... With the men thinking it's a witch hunt, I think there was just so much that had happened over so long that when women felt like they could talk about it, there was this outpouring. It was like a dam burst. It yeah. Was... And then everyone started coming forward because they genuinely felt like they had a story to Everybody, tell. Every yeah. woman has one. And a lot of men, especially baby boomer generation, 
had no idea. Of or they had perpetuated that same behavior and then yeah. didn't, I, I didn't realize it was wrong or more likely didn't realize they'd be called out for it. Or didn't call others out. Any number of scenarios have this combination of feeling and probably repressing some degree of culpability, whether it be complicity at somebody else yeah. doing it or feeling maybe like you crossed a line. Both men and women perpetuate that. And when we're raising boys, yes. it's the boys I heard growing up all the time, and it drove me insane. Boys will be boys. And then even the teaching girls that they are responsible for boys' behavior, that what they wear can affect their behavior, and so we have to protect boys by never if, showing too much skin. And if a boy tugs your hair and hurts you, that means he likes you. It's this, this is how we show love. We, it's this idea that men are such sexual beings all the time and have no culpability for what they say or do because that's just how they are. It does men such a disservice because I've talked to my husband about this too in context of something that has been implied by his family mm -hmm. that me being the manipulative feminist who has control, Ethan doesn't have any agency. It's like, no, he can control his own choices and decisions. He's a scientist. <laughs> he is. And I think that is worth thinking about for a lot of these men. Do you feel like you can't control yourself? Because I think you can. When and you've been raised. Yeah. There's some that probably there's an are. There's an entitlement from the cradle with this idea that women are responsible for how they make you feel. And that and you're therefore, owed something by them. There are so many subliminal ways that this is inculcated before we're even conscious. Because me being on the flip side and being raised very feminist by a stay-at-home dad who wrote angry letters to Disney about the princesses, I never had anything from the home front. And yet, you get to a middle school classroom setting, and it's the boys who are being rowdy and calling out the answers and coming into your puberty years you find yeah. yourself shrinking into what all the girls are doing and you don't get the attention the platform and you get sent home if your bra strap is showing or you're wearing yes. leggings you are taught so early on and in a weird way it does teach us coping skills from an early age that i think a lot of boys are not taught we are responsible for the emotions of others so quickly so you tune in to responses and that is just installed in women from such an early like, age we don't even think about it and yet we're picking up on these infinitesimal communication signals and it's really hard to teach that to somebody later in mm. life it can be done and i'll just decide this is not something that's out of reach for so many good men and i know so many men in their 20s and 30s who are like good people but they have no emotional availability and they have no control over they melt down they have to yeah approach emotions from any kind of nuanced way so, and this is where feminism really does benefit both genders but one thing that I wanted to talk to you about in the context of the Al Franken thing, one of the questions that plagues me, and we probably won't figure out an answer, but given that I think we both agree that forgiveness is and should be an option, and I certainly think what is the goal of the movement if we don't, A, want reform to be an option, make change an actual option, and B, make people feel like they can come back from something like this, that they can actually do better because it benefits everybody if you can fix it. Of course, we don't want to just throw people away because of a mistake they made. We talk about right. this all the time. And it's a call-out culture. There's a self-aggrandizing element of feeling superior to somebody. And oh my God, please don't pull that thread because, bitch, we are all in a glass house here. But that aside, people do really enjoy the superiority that comes with that. And I of think course, yeah. that's part of why the movement has thrived but if we agree that forgiveness should be an attainable thing how do we decide what and who and what standards are the arbiter of that 
process. I think if you show genuine remorse, you're going to accept certain consequences. I don't think that means being spineless, but it is acknowledging that you've done wrong and accepting that there are going to be negative consequences you can't just and then your life is just gonna go on exactly yeah not even just talking about del franken in general louis ck having brought him up earlier how exactly like he bounced back almost immediately and it was he already was making so much money and then everyone was like he would have been fine what do you want him to do never do comedy again and it's yeah no i just want him to take a second longer than what he took I wasn't ready to forgive him, but the thing that really just irks me about Louis C.K. is that of the apologies, and this is why I I think it has to be even more nuanced than just the sincerity of the initial attitude, and I think Mm -hmm. you're right saying more time, but his apology was one of the best at the time that I had seen. He seemed to own up to it, acknowledged mental health issues, and didn't make any excuses. It wasn't, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. It was, I'm sorry I did yes. this. Yeah. Right. I was so optimistic. But that was after, I've been hearing rumors about Louis C.K. for so long. But I think, okay, there was certainly a cultural shift that came with the Me Too movement. Yeah. That this shit had hit the proverbial fan. Maybe this was a turning point. Fine. But... Yeah, and then I think it was like within like a few months after. It was within a year, certainly. Yes, he and then was his jokes back. were insanely tasteless in the way that you cross into just—they're not even funny anymore. They're just political jabs. Yeah, he, t- he started talking about the Parkland kids. Yeah, buddy, you were on such thin ice already. You really want to go there? Whoa, yeah. This is what I want to say to all <sighs> men listening. I'm not boxing you in. I understand this is, I genuinely believe that I have such great guy friends who I trust and who are wonderful people and just emotionally savvy. What I want to tell you is just be self-aware mm. that Louis C.K. totally lost. Really fucking hard. And read the room. You have to be doing it every second of every day. You know what Brooke and I do when we sit on the subway? We know where every inch of our skin is. We are looking at the people around us. We know if they feel uncomfortable. We know who's I looking know at who's us. I know who's being loud at the end of the train. I know who's loud. walking back and forth. Mm. It's a danger thing, too. Like, yeah. I, if I am not being, paying attention to who's kind of it acting could sketchy kill me and, or... and anything could happen. So be more aware. And you don't have to face the danger. Best of both worlds. That's great. All right. We got to move on. So all we got in this, our due process segue of sorts to our post Mueller recap, due process being the bridge that brings these very different men together under the same Capitol dome. But due process was also brought up a decent amount of times in the Mueller testimony last week because... A lot of Republicans were saying, again, with a misinterpretation of what processes do and when, that Trump, in this witch hunt, was not given his due because he was the subject of an investigation. And so let's say he was the executive being investigated on evidence that certainly by nobody's account didn't exist. And he did not face any criminal charges. He was not deprived of any life, liberty, or property. He was not a criminal defendant. In fact, y'all should be thanking your lucky stars that Mueller thought that he could not be one at this point in time. So let's just expunge that phrase from our dictionary when it comes to the court of public opinion or talking about whether sitting presidents might have done something untoward, but we're not going to hold them accountable. And so we're going to investigate just for kicks. 
with that, one thing that I took from the Mueller testimony, and this is just a superficial observation, but he was off. He, He's old, dude. I know. He looks 74, and I understand that. And it would just, like, I, mean, horse. I don't think it moved the needle at all. Um, I don't think it moved the needle, but I think I'm glad that it happened in the way that seeing something performed is different than reading it on a page. And I think that that performative aspect was a big impetus in wanting him to testify and in wanting him to read directly from it, which he refrained from doing, which is such an indication that he is nothing if not pro Mueller because that is well within the four corners of the report to read from it there's right. no reason for him not to do well, that I also except felt for like the optics he he, he wanted to become a sound bite basically but bitch they're your words you're a text bite but god forbid you hold yourself to the words he you didn't wrote. want to be on the 6 p.m news wah, wah, wah. so there was just it, it seemed to, but it seemed to me like i don't know if seeing the report being read out loud would have actually changed anyone's mind. I think... Maybe I'm being cynical. I think, bottom line, you're probably right. Had he... Well, first of all, if the... Something like the night before or the day before, very shortly beforehand, William Barr and Trump's Justice Department said, hey, by the way, uh, don't say anything that's not in your report. You're constrained. You know that, right? And the justification that they gave was witness identification and things like privilege in a legal sense, Mm. but... My impression was that the whole point of the redactions, which everybody was still abiding by in terms of the testimony, that's what they're protecting. And certainly Mueller, nobody would say that he doesn't have discretion. So it just seemed like such an overt and desperate effort to say, do not say a goddamn word that you don't have to. And that, boy, it probably would not have changed anything, but it really showed that this administration is trying to ease out as little information as possible Mm -hmm. incrementally keep the drama low, and it's working. And that's why I think there is a benefit to having things done out loud. Right. The theatrics don't not matter. Yeah, I think, I mean, going in, he had said that he was going to stick to the report. Right, so he's already there. So, yeah, so I don't know what the point was of them coming out specifically asking, except... Panic or, like, we are watching you. I think this administration is constantly panicked and in chaos. I don't think there's ever a moment when they're not... Yeah. The last couple of things, Ted Lieu actually got him to say that he would have indicted Trump but for him being president. Of course, when he took a break, I have a feeling that somebody from the Justice Department gave him a phone call because the first thing that he said when he came back in was, by yeah. the way, I would like to remedy that and walk it back, yeah. uh, which is more than coincidental. I, I can't help but think. He said that they, they did not find anything that would right. push them to He's like, a, I wouldn't adopt that know. interpretation. Yeah. After having you know, essentially admitted, but it seems like he got a panicked phone call at the protein bar break. And, protein um, <laughs> bar break. But I have no idea, but it did seem weird that he flipped it back around. And then, you know, of course, the both most sides. voluntary thing that he's said, right? Like, right. Like the Democrats on one end were like, the, you know, he admitted it. And then the Republicans were like, no, he walked it back. And it was just, again, yeah. no one's minds were changed. And that's why I don't, the more investigation to me is a an albatross around the neck of the Democratic Party right now because they're... They're clearly not going to impeach. And at this point, if they keep talking about it instead of issues that lower income and working class people care about, yeah. they're t- they're going to lose 2020. So for the me, attention spans over. I think that it worked. The slow ooze worked. And Mueller, whether it be intentional or unintentional, was the perfect like straight man to project anything you want on. And it does feel like beating a dead horse at this point. Yeah, it and does. At this point, and unless you're Mueller invested report, in this on one side or the other, you're yeah. not going to be swayed. One thing that lingers that we do 
need to keep abreast of and that Mueller was probably the most open about was Russian intervention. And we actually had a bipartisan bill introduced yesterday or two days ago, which is remarkable to to prevent Russian intervention in the 2020 election, which Mueller said was already happening and the biggest threat to our democracy right now. And everybody should be afraid of it and working on it as we speak. Mitch McConnell blocked it. um, Mm -hmm. And he, for some reason, gets money from related causes and he didn't want options as backups when machines may be hacked he didn't want more oversight so food for thought just think about that for a while guys think about just think about that for a while mm, communist fish mouth communist fish mouth. uh yeah i am it's gonna be interesting to see how 2020 plays out with all of this on the plate um we have no control over how it plays out pooty does isn't that fun and rush is definitely not the only one Exactly. Okay. Uh, our universal hatred, which, you know, don't want to speak ill of the not dead. Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> oh, yeah. At first it came out that he tried to kill himself. My suspicion, because he's sharing a cell with a former police officer, is that he was found fetal on the ground, not unconscious, whimpering with marks on his neck. There was nothing there. People physically cannot strangle themselves with their hands. I think he probably paid this guy to give him a little light strangling so he could get transferred. So either that or that cop was just like, "Fuck you, Fair guy. Either you way, can go to hell." Pray for poor baby. Baby yeah. lizard face. <laughs> yeah, Jeffrey Epstein apparently wants Stay his own strong. Has- Why well, wasn't he in solitary confinement anyway? No, dude, subject him to the big oafy the big men house. who don't like pedophiles. The great equalizer. All right, guys. As always, pray for baby lizard. Pray for baby lizard, so he can survive to face the music. Bye. Yeah, we we want him to face the music. Yeah. Because Hold on, buddy. You know, as always, you can find me at BKE Rogers on Twitter, Brooke Angeline on Instagram. Weekdays, weeknights, and also weekends, you can find me at MKZJ Brandon on Instagram and get me number two a nunnery on Twitter. And I will say things back to you because I never sleep. She doesn't. He never sleeps. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. We love you. Tune in next week. Love you. Bye.